You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and back with me today to try our best to make sense of this most recent round of alleged realignment. We still have to say alleged realignment right now because we're not sure it's going to happen. In the world of college athletics is my co-host Curtis. Now before we get started, I have a couple more shout outs real quickly to throw out there. We put out the call for five-star rings and reviews a couple of weeks ago. Our goal was to get to 275 reviews before the season started and you guys have responded in a huge way. We are all the way up to 274 ratings and reviews. And guys, seriously, we really cannot thank you enough for all that support. Special shout outs this week go to Gilbert Peterson, John Marty, Hayward Kennerly, and Mark Davis for being kind enough to not only give us a five-star rating, but also leave us some very, very nice reviews as well. We really do appreciate that, guys. And if you enjoy the podcast, but have not had a chance to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, you could be the one that puts us over the top. So thanks again for all that support. You guys, seriously, you are the best. We appreciate it. And uh, one more quick reminder that another way you can help support the podcast, especially for those of you who don't follow us on Apple Podcasts, don't listen to us on Apple Podcasts, but really anyone, whether you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever, Another way you can help us out is by following us on our new Instagram account at Glory UGA Podcast. At Glory UGA Podcast. We've had people asking us to start an Instagram account, man, for probably over a year now. And we have finally listened. I know it's a little belated here, but we have finally listened. I promise you it will be worth your time to follow us there. We've already started putting stuff on there posting, putting stories, all that stuff. I had a good first week, about over 100 followers in our first week, which I know is not a lot, you know, in the grand scheme of things, but hey, it's, it's a great start for our first week, and uh, we want, but we want to build on that for sure. So we're going to have a ton of great content for you on Instagram leading up to the season, and especially during the season. I promise you guys, we're going to have some really great stuff for you during the season on Instagram. We plan to bring you a, a bunch of coverage from the actual games this year, especially the road games that I don't know, maybe not as many of you get to travel to. We want to, we kind of want to give you the feel of the weekend and the game, even if you aren't there. So we're going to do our best to, to help you out with that on Instagram. You can also follow us on Facebook by searching for our Glory UGA podcast page there. And of course, 
You can always follow us on Twitter at Glory underscore UGA. But uh, all right, let's get to all the news from last week. And if you are like me, you are very much still trying to digest all of the realignment insanity that hit like a random bolt of lightning on an otherwise beautiful sunny day. That's the best way I can describe it. It kind of just came out of nowhere. There we were in the middle of SEC media days in Hoover, usually a, a very lighthearted, backslapping, self-promoting kind of affair. And then boom, Jimbo Fisher gets up there. And all of a sudden, he starts getting asked about Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC. And, and then AM's AD, Ross Bjork, he's there furiously making the rounds, making the case about keeping Texas and OU out of the SEC. And then, of course, it all takes off from there. At first, honestly, guys, I, I didn't take it seriously at all. I thought it was just one of those random talking season things where you just need something to talk about. People like to stir things up and it's just some random rumor. But obviously, it's much, much more than that. It's essentially, you don't say a done deal, but reports are saying it's about as done of a deal as you can possibly have a deal be done without it actually being signed. Uh, and uh, here we are today. I mean, yeah, we've, we've got reports that the Longhorns and Sooners are going to inform the Big 12 as early as Monday of their intentions to not extend their grant of rights past the current Big 12 TV deal that expires in 2025 and then will formally initiate the process of joining the SEC. Man, this has moved at a lightning pace. I mean, seriously, talk about a whirlwind four or five days and really a whirlwind year when it comes to college football. I mean, it's even impacting this podcast. The original plan today for us was to come on here and discuss the news around Georgia football coming out of SEC Media Days. That's what we've been planning to do for a couple of weeks now. But obviously, that's been hijacked by this conference realignment expansion news that's just taking over the world, or at least taking over the world that that I exist in. So given that this is the news of the hour and is dominating all of our attention, and we've gotten a lot of feedback, a lot of interaction on social media about this since all this news started to come out, we're going to cover it here on the show today. We're going to start with a big picture look at expansion, you know, why this is happening, what it's going to look like, the implications, all that stuff, all that stuff. But then we also want to narrow our focus and zero in on exactly how this is going to impact the University of Georgia. But Curtis, let's start with the why on both sides. I think that's the logical place to start here. And we'll carry this on and look at all the different layers of this. But let's start with the why. So, Kurt, why are Texas and Oklahoma, let's start with them, their side of things. Why are Texas and Oklahoma so desperate to get out of the Big 12 when they basically, for all practical purposes, run the show over there? Well, I think first off, you have to say money probably does play play a big role in it because I think that is like one of the a big factor that's pushing everything. But even then, I think the biggest thing is I think, especially with the lack of leadership you've seen from Mark Emmert with this whole NIL um, phenomenon taking place, and you know the big changes he has provided very little leadership at all with it. And I think the conferences obviously recognize his lack of leadership in this whole thing. And I'm wondering more or less what the bigger ramifications are if you kind of per se, I mean, if you almost compare it to what you see in soccer over there in Europe with like the Premier League and all those, you know, special super leagues they have if there may be an attempt at doing that and they want to get in on the ground floor. Where you go like relegation? 
Yeah. So you're kind of getting it. Yeah. I mean, that's certainly, I mean, I, I can't completely discount that idea. And I don't know how I feel about that. On one level, it's kind of exciting. I don't think we would ever be in a position to be relegated. Maybe Vanderbilt might be something like that, but that's, that's an interesting concept there. Um, but I, I think you, you hit the nail on the head there when you said money. Like if you're ta- looking at this from the Texas and Oklahoma standpoint, why do they want to join the SEC? Why do they want to lead the Big 12? Where the, let's be real, they have it pretty well right now. They run the show there. They each have their own third-tier rights. Obviously, Texas has the Longhorn Network, the Longhorn Network, which gives them about $15 million a year. Oklahoma has a deal with formerly Fox Sports, now Bally, which gives them about $7 million a year for their third-tier rights. So they've had it pretty well for a while. That's why the Big 12 was able to survive more or less that initial round of realignment and expansion. But that doesn't mean they're going to be as well-situated moving into the future. And I guess some numbers here to kind of explain to, some, to explain to people out there why Texas and Oklahoma want to move on. Obviously, yes, it's about money, but let, let's look at what kind of money we're talking about here. So you guys know this. The SEC signed this mega $3 billion deal with ESPN that's set to start in 2024. That's a new TV deal, right? And what that's going to net the conference as a whole is $300 million more, get this, every year. Not $300 million more over the lifetime of the 10-year deal. $300 million more a year, all right? The Big 12's deal, currently it's kind of divided up between Fox and ESPN. It's not up until 2025. When the SEC struck that big deal with ESPN, basically went all in with ESPN, the Big 12, they approached Fox. They approached ESPN about negotiating early. Well, both those networks said, now nah, we're good. They turned them down. So to me, what happened here is that Texas and Oklahoma, they saw the writing on the wall. They saw the SEC is going to make $300 million more a year. Last year, the, the Commerce distributed $45 million to each team. So if you add another $300 million on top of that starting in 2024 – you guys know math ain't my thing, but I can do this. $300 million divided by 14, that's another $21.5 million per team in the SEC starting in 2024. That's about $67 million right now. That's what it would be starting in 2024. Well, it's what the Big 12 gave out to their teams last year. They distributed $34.5 million last year to each team. All right, that's solid. That's not that. I mean, it's not great, but it's, it's, bad. it's not that bad. It's like third in the pecking order behind the SEC and the Big 10. Well, in Texas, get, got $15 million from Longhorn Network. OU got $7 million from Bally. So that's about $15.5 million and $41.5 million, respectively, for Texas and OU. That's fine right now. But again, it's not about right now. It's about the future and how far Oklahoma and how far Texas would fall behind the SEC when that new deal with ESPN kicks in for the SEC in 2024. So Texas will be looking at about a $17 million gap with the SEC teams and Oklahoma about a $26 million gap. So that's that's really what it came down to. ESPN went all in on the SEC, and Texas and Oklahoma, they're smart. They realized ESPN probably doesn't have that much money left to build the Big 12 for its next deal. So if they don't want to fall behind the, the big powers in the SEC, any, well, any further behind they already are, they got to jump ship. You, you, you can't beat them. You got to join them, right? So I think that's really what it comes down to there. And then on the flip side, Curtis, the SEC has this great thing going, right? universally recognized as the preeminent organization in college athletics, especially on the football side of things, which let's be real, that's really what drives everything anyway. So, Kurt, let's look at it from the SEC standpoint here, right? Why would the SEC be willing to rock the boat 
and potentially mess with a good thing by bringing in Texas and Oklahoma? Uh, I mean, I think you also you got to think money too. I mean, that's the biggest yeah. thing when you're thinking of everything going on. Absolutely, a hundred percent. It's it's money on both sides. Now there are other ancillary factors involved as well, but the big driving factor on both sides is for Oklahoma, for Texas, for the SEC, for the teams in the SEC. They're all going to ultimately get behind this. You've already seen A and M, who was crying bloody murder about this initially. Well, they've already fallen in line because they know. It's in their best interest financially. I mean, where's where's A and M gonna go? I mean, they're talking about oh, we're, we're gonna have a meeting potentially, and we're gonna talk about action against the SEC. What are you gonna do? You're not gonna leave the SEC. Everyone knows that, so just sh- shut up and fall in line. That's essentially what's happened here. But it's all about money. I, I, I think the thought is here, and this is where we kind of get to more speculation. You don't really know this, but the thought is ESPN is going to adjust the deal to account for Texas and Oklahoma. Like, Kurt, do you really, like, do you think ESPN will go back to the negotiating table and say, okay, well, you added these two teams. Well, well, we'll add a little money to the pod. Is that is that something you think they'll ultimately end up doing? Um, I'd be shocked if they didn't. Yeah, I, I, I would too. Honestly, I would too. And like, I know you could, some people can sit here and say, "Well, well, Texas or the ESPN's already negotiated the deal. Why would they add more money in there?" Well, it's, eh, there's a couple of reasons why, and I'll get to that here in a second. But I, I also think about this: like, I don't think ESPN plans on keeping Big Twelve rights going forward, or if they do, without Texas and Oklahoma it's going to be at a much discounted rate. So what they can do is they can take that money they previously been paying to the Big 12 and say, oh, well, now we'll just kind of roll that into this deal with the SEC. And here's the other factor, Kurt. I think the the Fox competition factor is a big deal here, all right? I think ESPN might be willing to overpay a little bit at least to kind of destabilize Fox. Because Fox has this growing college football coverage. They've really become a competitor to ESPN in the college football landscape. And I think ESPN wants to kind of destabilize, destabilize Fox's coverage. Just look, Fox put a lot of money into this Big 12 deal. Well, if you take away Oklahoma and Texas from, from the Big 12, Fox is paying a lot of money for what? For nothing. So I think that this is a way for ESPN to kind of destabilize Fox and once again kind of situate themselves as truly the undisputed worldwide leader when it comes to sports, at least college athletes. I think that's a big factor here. And then – what about this fact, Curtis? All right, if you're the SEC, let's say Texas, Oklahoma, they come knock on your door and say, hey, man, look, we're leaving. We're leaving the Big 12, and we want to we talk to you first. Right? You're our first option here. If you're Greg Sankey, can you possibly turn them down? No, not at all, because you don't want to take a chance in them going somewhere else and then you know, passing you by. Absolutely, and, and that's, that's where if you're Greg Sankey, you literally you can't let this opportunity pass you by because – as I said, I, I think Texas and Oklahoma, they saw the writing on the wall financially with the Big 12. I think they saw the writing on the wall. They're smart people. They're smarter than I am that run those universities. They saw it. If I can see it, they can see it, all right? And so I think they were leaving the Big 12 one way or another. So if the SEC doesn't take them, you better believe someone else will. I don't know, maybe the Big 10. And I know you can, like you can say, well, that's not a geographical fit. That doesn't matter. Like, that doesn't matter at all anymore. The Big Ten absolutely would take them. It's about eyeballs, right? In the, in the era of streaming that, that we're in right now, it's about how many eyeballs can you get on your conference. And Texas and Oklahoma are about as big a gets as you can get out there outside of maybe Notre Dame. So, and if you let that happen, if you're Greg Sankey, now all of a sudden the ACC, maybe the ACC isn't the dominant player in college football, and you can let that happen. And that leads me to the next question, all right? So, Curtis, I want to look at – you were kind of alluding this in your in, – your response to the first question, all right? What do you think is the 
ultimate end game here for the SEC. Like you and I are both in agreement here that money is driving a lot of this, but is there something beyond that that's leading the SEC to make this move? You, you mentioned the NCAA and their lack of leadership. Do you think that is a factor in this as well? Um, I could see it. Like the fact that there's been no meaningful legislation from the NCAA and this whole kind of thing has kind of shown that the whole idea of a Super League is possible um, if you can put them together. Okay, so let's say the SEC – I mean, the SEC is going to become a Super League, right? It's going to be the first true Super League. Because you're already hearing that there are more people reaching out. Do you buy that? So that was I, – I, and maybe someone else more credible has leaked that, but I saw that from a guy that's a producer at Barstool Sports. And now maybe he's got some connections. I don't know. And you, you can't discount anything. But do you really buy that? Because what, what he had put out there was what? Florida State, Ohio State, Michigan, Clemson have already reached out to the ACC. Do you really believe that? No, I don't believe that. But you are hearing rumblings that there is a lot of like conversations going on behind closed doors, and it wouldn't shock me because I think all the conferences across the nation are like, are we about to get left behind? You know, we were talking about the SEC yeah. getting left behind. I think the other conferences are like trying to play are in panic mode at the same time. Absolutely. I mean, when the SEC makes this power move like this, that's not. Let's call it what it is. It's a power move. Don't you feel like the Big Ten, the ACC, have to try to, and the, I guess to a lesser degree, maybe the Pac-12, have to try to respond in, in kind in some way? I mean, you've heard the Big Ten with Kansas, but that's not – no. it's outside basketball. You're getting nothing compared to what you're getting in Texas and Oklahoma. Oh, of course not. I mean, I've heard Can- – actually, I've heard Kansas and Oklahoma State are both already communicating with – with the Big Ten, you're right. From a football perspective, that doesn't really move the needle all that much. Oklahoma State's a good, solid team. It's a good, solid program. But, I mean, come on. It's not Oklahoma. It's not Texas. They don't have that kind of cachet. And Kansas is and the I've, worst I've power five. I've read for Oklahoma, the, like, the last three or four years, has won a national championship in some sport. Like, they're bringing Oklahoma State is a great all-around. You're right. They have a great all-around athletic department. They really do. But, again, football drives this. And their football program yeah. is good, but it's it's not – like it doesn't again doesn't carry the cachet of like Texas or Oklahoma, but they I do think that would be more of a big fit than Kansas in the Big Ten. But I think they'll probably look at both those teams. Do you do you see kind of like potentially a, a battle brewing between the Big Ten and the ACC over Notre Dame? Um, yes, especially over Notre Dame because uh, I think for most of the Big Twelve people, you're going to see it between the Pac-12 and the Big Ten. But when it comes to Notre Dame, I definitely see it between the Big Ten and the ACC. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. 
Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Yeah, you, you mentioned the Big 12 there. What do you think happens to – I know we're getting off the Georgia thing here, but it, this is just a big picture thing. I mean, this obviously relates to Georgia because it's, it's – we're talking about the future of college football. What do you see happening? We mentioned Oklahoma State, Kansas. What about the rest of those teams, the Baylors, the TCUs, the Texas Techs, the Kansas States? What happens to those Big 12 teams? They're going to have to find somewhere else, like I was mentioning with the Pac-12 and things like that, because the fact of the matter is um, they, the Big 12 cannot survive. There's no one that they add, can add that would make them a conference other than like a mid-major almost is what they've become, like a Sun Belt. I mean, a little bit right. better than Sun Belt, but the fact is those guys can't carry it, and there's no one out that could replace them either. Uh, realistically, so what's the point? Like they might as well go from if they're wanting a chance to ever compete for natties and things like that, they're going to have to join it, the Big Ten or the Pac-12. Yeah, I think that they're going to have to because, look, I know the initial thought was, well, okay, who can they go get? They'll go get BYU. They'll go get Boise State. They'll get UCF. They'll get Cincinnati. It's like, okay, so basically you're just becoming another version of the American Conference, right? Exactly, and that, and we've already seen the American Conference. It gets no respect across the board. So what? how would that make the Big 12 yeah. respectable? Without Absolutely. Big fish. And look at the rest. Look, outside of Oklahoma and Texas, the rest of the teams in the in the Big 12, I, I'm not going to say they're – I will say they're probably at least a, a slight notch above most of the, of the like, let's say, American Conference teams. But I, I don't like – is Oklahoma State really that much better than Cincinnati? No. I don't, I don't think they are. Is TCU really all that much better than, than UCF? I mean, not really. Not lately. Yeah, not lately. Absolutely. I, I mean, Memphis. Like, is Memphis all that worse than Texas Tech? No, they're not. So I think if they went that route and just try to rebuild the Big 12 and keep it around, that's fine. But when your conference is up for its its TV renegotiations in 2025, you're going to get an AAC deal. Because let's be real, Texas yeah. and Oklahoma are what brought the money into that conference. That's what Fox and ESPN are paying for. They weren't paying for Iowa State. They were not paying for Kansas State. They were paying for Texas and Oklahoma. And the other teams got the benefit from that, right? That was socialism at its finest, more or less. I mean, it's really what it comes down to in these conference payouts. Um, so I think they're going to have like to Vanderbilt. move elsewhere. Yeah, Ver- yeah, Vanderbilt. Yeah, Vanderbilt, Mississippi State. Oh, again, Mississippi State, they won a baseball title. I guess Vanderbilt did too. Um, but here's the one thing I've also heard, just kind of throw this out there. I don't know how it will ultimately play out. But I've also heard that TCU and Baylor have already reached out to the Pac-12 and were basically shut- – they, 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 they got shot down because they are religiously affiliated universities. The Pac-12 does not have any interest in bringing in any religious affiliation to their conference. So where does where do programs like that go? Their only chance would be the ACC, and that could help the ACC by giving them a foothold in Texas area because that they have absolutely no foothold yeah. outside of of yeah. coast. Yeah, and, I, and you're right. I think that's where my mind's going here too. Is like I don't think anyone's talking about TCU and Baylor potentially in the ACC because again, geographically, like well, no. But I mean, I mean Syracuse, like well, I guess that's technically the East Coast, but Boston College. I mean, they're they're. Look, what what even matters anymore? West Virginia would be a great fit for the ACC, right? I think that'd be a, a natural fit there. It's on the East Coast, uh, more or less. But I think you could see maybe potentially Baylor and TCU start to look to the a, a the ACC, maybe the Big Ten. I don't know, uh, but it'd be very interesting. Some of these teams might get left out, and it's fair. Like, I don't know. It's going to be very interesting to see how this realignment ultimately plays out. Because I think that's that's what's going to happen. I mean, obviously there's going to be massive realignment. We're talking about two teams right now, but I think this is just the tip of the iceberg on where this is going. But you mentioned the NIL, Curtis. I, I, here's one thing I want to I, I want to get your thoughts on this. 
Do you think that the SEC has its eyes on breaking away from the NCAA? Um, it's hard not to think that. I mean, the fact is, like I mentioned, there's been absolutely zero leadership by Mark Emmert in this whole thing. And I think another thing that's rubbing people wrong is the fact that COVID happened. All these programs and um, athletic departments across the country are struggling. Oh, and Mark Emmert gets a, a raise. Fantastic point. Yeah, fantastic. And the thing about there was no, think about well, you bring up COVID, Curtis. Think about how the college football season was almost entirely derailed last year. Because he, there was he, again, once no, again showed no leadership in the hardest of times with COVID, NIL, all these things going on. You see no leadership from him, and yet Sankey had a lot to do with there being a football season last year. So he's well, got to be Kevin Warren. Let's be real, Kevin Warren, the Big Ten. They they tried to cancel their season early to force every when they were because the conference commissioners were negotiating with each other behind the scenes, right? And then he went rogue and just went out and canceled their season or postpone their season, whatever. And we we talked about this last season when it happened. He clearly did that in an effort to try to pressure the other conferences to follow suit, right? Do you, yeah. You, do you think Greg Sankey remembers that? Of course he does. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. He's, he's feeling his Wheaties because he had a lot to do with there being a football season. Absolutely. Greg Sankey remembers that. He wants to be – he doesn't want to be in a situation like that where someone can tr- even try to dictate terms to him and his conference in the future. He wants to be the, the clear – dispenser of justice when it comes to the comes to college football like he wants to be the dude in charge and he doesn't want to be at the mercy of other conferences like that so i i think that the sec has its eyes on breaking away from the ncaa and this might be their way to kind of pull their own kevin warren big 10 move from last year right where they're going to go first be the first one to add these two big teams become the first super conference and all these other conferences have to follow suit and then that's ultimately, and that's also what I was talking about with Texas and Oklahoma because there could be a a bidding war trying to get in on a a super league type thing. Of course, there would be. Like and again, when, when Texas and Oklahoma come knock on your door and say, "Hey guys, we're not going public with this. We don't want anyone else to know that we're leaving the Big Twelve, but we're going to leave the Big Twelve. We want, we want to give you first right of refusal." You say, "Come on in, fellas. Come on in, baby. We're going to make this happen because you can't take the chance of there becoming an open bidding war, right?" Yeah. You can't you can't do that. You just, because think about this: if Texas and Oklahoma start just shopping themselves open like that, well, it's like okay, we're going to go to the highest bidder. Which conference is willing to give us more than our fair share of conference distrib- financial distributions, right? And you don't want that. You don't want that at all. So I, I think that I, I think that this is something that Greg Sankey had to do, and I think that they do have their eyes on breaking away from the NCAA. Because you mentioned the NIL. Think about all these things that have changed college football. I mean, it's been a, it has it's been a whirlwind past year. NIL, the transfer portal. Curtis, do you think there's any coincidence that Greg Sankey in his opening comments at SEC Media Days brought the transfer portal on how there's like over a thousand people that are still left without a home? Do you think there's any coincidence he brought that up? No. I think he brought that up because he has a clear problem with it. The coaches, the I know the coaches in the conference have a clear problem with it because they can't, it's very difficult right now to really manage your roster because you don't know who got who's gonna be leaving who's coming back what's going you just don't know it's hard to plan for that when you have a hard 25 cap on your incoming class on those initial counters it's really hard the NCAA has been very rigid in allowing them to kind of pull or open up that rigid 25 initial counters each year so I think the transfer portal they want to reform that. They want to be more guardrails on that. NCAA has shown no appetite to do that. The Supreme Court, that Austin decision, which is going to open up the doors for unlimited educational benefits, not only open up the doors, mandated un- unlimited educational benefits, and open up the door to potential other lawsuits that could go down different avenues of paying players. And you mentioned you've been on this, Chris. NCAA has been a disaster 
through all of this in leading member schools through the, all these changes. I mean, no just way. watching them in the Austin decision was embarrassing enough. Their entire argument was, well, that's how it's been. Why should it change? Like, they literally have no idea what they're doing. And Greg Sankey, as a lawyer in his background, you know more than I do on that kind of stuff. He sees that. And he's like, he's probably like you, just head in hand, like rubbing his head. Like, what, what are you guys even doing? What are, what are you even doing? There's no way you're, you're going to take this to the Supreme Court. Okay. Yeah, like watching, like listening to the arguments was, it was actually embarrassing because it, it was just like, hey, we get the world has changed, but we don't think we should have to change. We're special. We've always been special. So why do we have to do what everyone else is doing? No, I mean, that's just not going to fly. It's not going to fly. It's not and that's what I said. They have, they have consistently, that's the one thing that, they, that Mark Emmer and his organization have consistently shown is that they are inept. That's a great way to put it. They've been pretty consistent in their ineptitude. That's that's a fantastic way to put it. And I mean, I know we're kind of lauding Greg Sankey here. I think the dude's a boss. I think Greg Sankey's a visionary here, guys. I, I really mean, the do. SEC has been the SEC has been lucky that the last two leaders have been pretty strong. Both the Mark Slide, who really set the stage, and then yeah. Sankey has been continuing it. Sankey is Sankey's a monster. Sankey's a monster. I, I think what he sees, and this is it's a speculation here. I don't know. I don't, I don't know the guy, obviously, but I think he sees that staying with the NCAA long term. I think he sees this because this is kind of what I see. I think he sees that staying within the confines of the NCAA long term. I think he sees that as unsustainable, and that there are issues that have to be addressed. Some very serious issues with like transfer portal, NIL, Austin, all these different things that have got to be addressed in the NCAA. As you've been saying, Gers, is too toothless and or too spineless and or too reactionary and or too antiquated to do anything about it. And that's just not going to work. It's not going to work anymore. And I, I also think uh, the last thing here, before we go to our next question, I think this is also very much a move by Greg Sankey, kind of what I was alluding to earlier to position the SEC to be the dominant post NCAA force that will exert the most influence in shaping like what that reality is ultimately going to look like, you know, because like if we're going to have super conferences, well, I think the SEC went out and got the two top programs you can get right outside of maybe Notre Dame. Okay. Maybe Notre Dame, you throw that in there. So I think the SEC and saying you're trying to become that dominant force post NCAA. And I, again, as I said earlier, I think this is potentially even a way for the SEC to start accruing enough power to begin pressuring other conferences to do the same thing, join, become super conferences, join forces, whatever, and ultimately have 64, 65 teams, which is how I think we have 65 teams in the Power Five right now to throw in Notre Dame that will ultimately just leave the NCAA and do their own thing. I, I think that's a very, very realistic possibility. In fact, I think that's the likelihood at this point. I can't predict when that's going to happen, but I think it's going to happen sooner rather than later at this point. I really do. I really do. All right, and Curtis, and another big question people have here is when will all of this happen? And again, this is one of those things, there's no way to know for sure, but just based off what you're thinking, what you've seen, what you've heard, Curtis, what do you, when do you think Texas and Oklahoma will actually be playing college football games in the SEC? Well, I would say in 2025 when the uh, TV deal is up, but you're hearing it could be as early as next year, the year after. I just, I really don't know. I think the most realistic option would be 2024 or 2025. I honestly, I'm, I don't see any way it goes to 2025. I think that's, I don't think that's sustainable to have this, these two teams in this conference when you know they want to leave and are going to leave to hold, just to hold them hostage. Like, who wants that marriage to keep lasting? Like, well, I mean, it's like a couple who's gotten divorced, but they're still living with each other. Like, who's that good for? 
Who does I that know. Help? I mean, it, I just it depends if they're contractual. How that? Yeah, you're, I, you're right. From, and I know you're coming from the lawyer standpoint, and I, I totally get that. Contractually, they're kind of held up until 2025, right? Yeah. Well, and like you don't, you're not sure if the other teams are willing to give up the money that's on the table at that point. Right. And, and so it, this it, is what you are talking about. What may happen to the other teams? Well, if they don't have great options, they're going to try to gather all the money they can before. Fair. Fair that and that's a that is a good possibility. So and this again, this is where it gets really murky. I don't have a, a firm answer here. Now, what here's what I do know. I do know that according to the Big Twelve bylaws, they have to OU and Texas have to give the, the Big Twelve eighteen months notice before they leave. All right, and you mentioned twenty twenty five, Curse. That's when they're the Big Twelve TV deals up. And I think it, I think the number is they would owe them two years of revenues to the Big Twelve to get out or if they're going to leave, which would be like seventy five million dollars. But here's my thing. I, I know what the bylaws say. I know what the contracts say. But every, you're a lawyer. You're going to be a lawyer. You're close to being a lawyer. Everything can be litigated, right, Kurt? Oh, yeah, 100%. It's just are they willing to put out the money up front is really what – Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think I – think, I know 70, 75 million is a big that's, – that's big, but that's – you know, basically one year's worth of distributions. That they may the ask for it up front or like, a full, or, you know, an advancement from the SEC to help even a half of it. Or maybe um, even ESPN. Yeah, someone to try to kind of help them get it through and be like, just take it, you know, yep. you know, where you see it, where I keep the first half. Yep. Yeah. I, I think ESPN can certainly get involved here. Again, I think it could also be a power move by ESPN to, again, try to destabilize Fox's TV contract with the Big 12. I mean, seriously. And just – take over college football again. Because Fox has been a, has been a formidable competitor for, for a couple of years now, and they look to try to be doing that even more into the future. So I, I, I could see there being some sort of settlement negotiated here because I don't think they want to stick it, stay together. And honestly – No, I think 2023 is probably the, the more – I guess 2023, 2024, like that, that season may be the most realistic. Yeah, I, I'm thinking I'm thinking 2023-ish – um, I, I wouldn't, I don't think this is the most likely option, but I wouldn't completely outright dismiss 2022. I know that's pushing it. I wouldn't completely dismiss. I think 2023 is more likely, but here's why I say maybe an outside shot at 2022. Cause I think honestly, there's a strong possibility that Texas and Oklahoma leaving that move destabilizes the big 12 so much that it just won't exist next year. Because other teams that conference, we've already talked about it. Other teams, Baylor, TCU, Oklahoma State, Kansas, they've already, we know those teams have been, because it's been reported, have been in communication with other conferences because they're in a scramble to find their own future homes, to secure their own futures. So if all those teams start to say, okay, we're going to this conference, we're going to that conference, could could the Big 12 just completely dissolve by next year? It could. Would be... You know, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm just I'm throwing stuff against the wall here, but I'm just saying I don't think that's impossible. It's probably not the most the strongest likelihood, but I don't think it's impossible. I think 2023, 2024 is probably more likely. I don't think it'll go all the way to 2025. I think they'll have a settlement before then. I would go 2023 as my most likely answer, but I wouldn't get. I just wouldn't dismiss 2022 completely out of hand. Wouldn't completely just throw it out there. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.
You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Um, all right. So, um, we could obviously dig even deeper here. There are myriad layers to the big picture. Look at this. But even though we like to branch out every now and then and, and kind of discuss those Georgia-adjacent topics, at heart, we are a Georgia podcast. After all, we are called the Glory UGA podcast. So here's where I want to get back to our roots and narrow our focus on how this round of realignment slash expansion, whatever you want to call it, is going to impact our Georgia Bulldogs. And I want to start with the scheduling ramifications it holds for us. Now, of course, none of us know exactly how this is all going to play out and what the conference format will ultimately look like once all this goes through and, and Oklahoma and Texas join the league. But on the surface, and based off what has been discussed publicly to this point, there seems to be two leading possibilities when it comes to scheduling and how the conference is going to be structured. So I think either we stick with the Eastern and Western divisions, with the most likely scenario being Alabama and Auburn being added to the East, or we go to a pod system, which I've been advocating for a while, even with the 14 teams, where the 16, the, the new 16 teams are now 16 team conference will be divided into four mostly geographical based pods where a team like Georgia, we would play each of the three teams in our pod every year. And then we would play two teams from each of the other three pods every year. Now in both scenarios, the league would almost certainly move to a nine game conference schedule, which I've been long in favor of. And again, we can't know for sure what the pods would look like, but the SEC network used a graphic early or I guess late last week that had us in a pod with Florida, South Carolina, and Kentucky. Now you can read between the lines and say, well, if that came from the conference own network, maybe it kind of makes sense that they might have some behind and scene knowledge there. All right. So maybe it's kind of a, a, a little foreshadowing into what the pods would actually look like, or maybe it was complete and utter speculation, you know, whatever. But that's the most credible pod format that I have seen today. Cause it came from the SEC network. And in that scenario, Auburn would not be a team that we play every year. The Deep South's oldest rivalry, it'd be dead, man. It would be dead unless maybe we wanted to play each other as like a non-conference opponent every year. Uh, like North Carolina Wake Forest have been doing that for the past couple of years. So what I'm getting at here, Curtis, is that we are potentially facing either have either having Alabama in our own division every year if we stick with divisions or a scenario if we go with pods where the Deep South's oldest rivalry is no more. So, Kurt, which of those two possibilities would you most want to avoid? Oh, there's no question. I do not want to go stay, stick with divisions. I, I, I'm, I'm 100% agree with you. And I, well, and and I not, put not this that, question out. Not only that, but the pod system is so great because the thing is, like, you play more of the teams. Like, if you go to the divisions, there's no saying how long it could be before you play someone from the other division. Like, you, you know uh, – on Twitter, you mentioned we haven't been A and M, and we won't go till twenty twenty four. And they joined in what twenty twelve or something like that. Twenty twelve. Yep. It's been that long, and that'll be our first trip there. Well, you know, it's so exciting that Texas and Oklahoma in the conference. It could there could be a time where we don't go there until fifteen years after they joined. What great? Yeah. What been there? Yeah, one of my big issues, and I've said this many times, with with how our conference's scheduling has been formatted over the past 10 years or so is that we, the teams that are our non 
our our non-crossover rival, right? So Auburn's our our crossover rival with with the SEC West. There's other teams in the SEC West. We've played them twice every 12 years. Once at home, once on the road. Twice every 12 years, and that's it's hardly even a conference. How can you say you're even a conference with those teams when you just don't ever play them? It's like just you're ridiculous. only uh, out, uh, outside of football. You play them, but that's. Once again, football is the money maker. Yes, you're right. But football drives everything, 100. Yeah. And, and look, I know selfishly, I know not everyone goes to all the games. So this is certainly, I'm biased in that I go to all these games and I want to travel to different places. I like to go to places that are a little bit different that I don't normally get to go to. I mean, going to Nashville is great. Going to Knoxville, it's good. It's fine. It's great. All that stuff. But I mean, you just go to the same places all the time and. I would like to be able to branch out and go to some different places. I think that's really good for fans. It makes for good trips for fans. It makes it fun for fans. Let's not lose sight of this, guys. This is supposed to be fun, right? We're supposed to enjoy it. And I, I think that's something that would be really, really good for fans. And it also be good for the program that you're able to kind of put your product out there in different areas more often, more consistently. So I think being able to play those teams on a more regular basis, to me, that's an awesome benefit to this potential. When, I think going to a nine – I don't think neither of us want to play Alabama every year. I mean, we yeah. respect the heck out of them. <laughs> Fact is, until the king is down, it's not someone that you want to yeah. realistically have to play every year. Yeah. Look, I'm not scared of Alabama. I'm, I'm not just, scared. I'm not scared it, of Alabama. But it would make life more difficult. 100%. And that's my point. Yeah, it's like I'm not scared of Alabama. But right now, in the way things are set up with divisions, we basically just have to beat Florida every year. And with Tennessee down, South Carolina doing whatever South Carolina is doing. We basically have to beat Florida every year in our division, and we're in Atlanta every year, right? Well, you throw Alabama in there, all of a sudden it becomes much harder to even get to win. I had a really good conversation with um, was Eric Taylor, I think. Somebody on – I think it was Eric Taylor on Twitter. And he made the point that, like, look, well, you, you're going to have to beat Bama at some point anyway. So why not what, – what is the difference between having to do it in Atlanta or doing it in the regular season? And, I get, and my response to that is that I put value on just getting to Atlanta, right? I think winning your division has a lot, a lot of recruiting ramifications. Being able to say we played for the SEC title. Now, of course, well, you especially want to because win it. when you when you get to Atlanta, it's a one game. You know, one anything can happen in that wow, one game. Yeah. But when you're, yeah, but the fact is, you'd have to beat them every year just to get there. Yeah, like you see with I, LSU, I how many times have they had good season, good years, or good great teams, and it came down to the Alabama LSU game every year. Yeah. I, I 100% agree. Yeah, I just – you don't want to make it more difficult to get to your championship game. And, and we can we, – I think we'll get over the Bama hurdle sooner rather than later. We haven't yet, but we've been right there as close as almost anyone in the SEC. Really, we have been. Um, but we haven't gotten it done. But I think that we will get it done sooner rather than later. I think this year could be one of those opportunities to do that. But, again, you just like – right now, like why would you volu- – like why would you be cool with trying to make your – path to Atlanta more difficult and I get you got to beat him at some point yeah I get that but I, I just think there's at least some value in just getting to that game because there's there you can sell that to recruits that we're playing for SEC titles that's something that you can sell now of course you want to win it but that getting there is, is is also an accomplishment in its own right not the ultimate accomplishment but it's an accomplishment in its own right now if we stuck with divisions Curtis or let's say not I'm sorry if we went with pods this is another question I had if we went with pods how would you decide who ultimately plays for the title in Atlanta? Um, I think you'd probably see like a four-team playoff for championship. For the SEC championship? Yeah. Huh. I don't know if they would add the extra game. I think what they would do, and maybe you're right, but I think what they would do is just go with the 
top two teams in the conference, like based off conference win loss record, right? It would be I mean, hard. Maybe I mean, have you heard that? Have you, you heard that? Someone? I haven't heard them. For the NBC. I mean, the thing, the fact of the matter is, you don't. What if you have a team that's really good, but they pulled their strength of schedule that year, ended up being super easy. But that's I guess what I'm saying is, like, I, 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 I wouldn't use rankings, but like the, this is what the Big 12 has done the past couple of years since they've reinstituted their Big 12 championship game. It's just the t- the two teams with the best conference record at the end of the year. That's and fair. those two I mean, teams it's just, don't it'd, play. It'd be weird, but it'd be but weird. Though, I will it's say cumbersome. Only, can I say the one thing I don't? I'm not excited if we have to give it up. Is I don't think that there should be a rotation between the SEC championships and Jerry World and Atlanta. I don't. I I think I think we keep it. I think you should keep it in Atlanta. Like I, I I made it clear. Well, my I don't my, really re- my reasoning is honestly because outside of Texas and to A and M and Oklahoma, no one's really close to there. Where Atlanta's always been a central figure for the Southeast. Yeah, and can you also potentially just say the like? Look, there are benefits to the to the SEC taking these two teams, obviously financially, but can you still also say that OU and Texas need the SEC more than the SEC needs them? Yeah, I think you so that well you don't. So I think we have the leverage there. Like, I don't think they can dictate terms and say, hey, we'll only come if you also have the SEC championship in Jerry's world every other year. I don't think they ha- are in a, I don't think they're in a position to dictate those terms right now. And I don't think that we should just like voluntarily offer that up. I would fight that. So I'm, I'm with you there. I'm with you there hundred percent. But if we went to pods, I think you just do the top two teams, kind of like the Big 12 has been doing. Uh, and then, of course, there might be a, a tie at the top, but then you can do head-to-head and all that kind of thing. There'll be tiebreakers. And those two teams go play for the uh, for the SEC title. Because I just – I don't like if, – if we're expanding the playoffs a couple more rounds out to 12 teams, do you really want to add a whole other round just to get to your conference title game? Like that puts your, that puts your conference at a disadvantage. Yeah, it's not ideal, no. Yeah, I mean, I, again, I don't know. You might be right. I have no idea. I just, I think the easiest thing to do, it's not perfect, but I think the easiest thing to do is just say, okay, the top two teams at the end of the year in the regular season with a win-loss record, you guys play for the title. And you go from there. I, I think that's maybe the easiest way. But it is a little bit cumbersome to do that. And the East-West divide does kind of solve that issue. But I just, I don't really love the East-West thing if we're going to throw up Bama and Auburn into the East. I'd much rather prefer the pods. All right, Curtis, last question here. I've got a couple minutes, about five minutes. I'm going to put it to you simply here, man. The answer is probably a little bit of both, but I really want you to pick a side here, all right? Last question. Let's end on this. Is Texas and Oklahoma to the SEC, is that ultimately good or bad for the Georgia Bulldogs? Once again, I'll say it depends on what system they go with with scheduling. If it goes to divisions, it is very, very bad. But if it stays with the pod system, I think it's you, a tough question. It could help. I just think yes. it, it, it. I think it, it. I don't think it's great. It makes it tougher, of course. I mean, it's going to make it tougher for everyone, even Alabama and Texas now can argue recruiting that they're in the SEC and Oklahoma can argue mm-hmm. that. So it, recruiting and all that will be harder. Yes, but I think that I would rather. I think if you you can live with the pods where the divisions it makes it a lot more difficult. Yeah, I, I like what you said about recruiting there. To me, that's the biggest drawback that I see right now. And I'm still digesting all this, so maybe I'll change my mind here. But to me, the biggest drawback that I see, a potential drawback, is that recruiting is going to become more competitive because Oklahoma and Texas, which already are programs that recruit well, not necessarily at an elite level consistently, but they recruit really well. Well, they have, by joining the SEC, 
they have now solved the biggest recruiting issue they had, which was that they were not in the SEC. They could never sell that. They had to say, oh, you can play, play Iowa State. You can play Kansas State. Cool. And the guy's like, nah, we're good. We're going we're gonna, we're gonna to go to the SEC. We're going to go with real football's play. And so now they can sell playing in the SEC. It also opens up more doors to them in the SEC footprint in places like Georgia and Florida, which they could go in and try to recruit guys at times, but they weren't going to get guys consistently. I think maybe we'll have more of an opportunity to land some of those guys, which just makes it more difficult for us. We're always going to recruit well. We are very well situated. I still think we have the greatest college town in America. I live here. I love it. We have a lot to offer from a university standpoint from a facility standpoint, coaching development standpoint, putting guys in league tradition, all of that will be fine. But the fact is, it's going to be more competitive. There's no doubt. And that's never really a good thing necessarily. So I, I won't put that out there. But this also ensures, here's a benefit though. I think it's ultimately a good thing. Recruiting will be tough, but I, I ultimately think it's going to be a good thing because I think it will also ensure that we continue to be part of the dominant conference moving forward. Like again, if we, like we said earlier, if you let Texas and Oklahoma go to the big, the Big Ten or the ACC, well, maybe the ACC is not the center of the college football universe anymore. And that could certainly have some negative ramifications for Georgia. When you come to the 12-team playoff, trying to get an at-large bid, maybe your strength of schedule isn't viewed as, as high as it was. Maybe the ACC doesn't get the respect that it has from the committee and pollsters and all that moving forward. So I think it helps us by strength of schedule and becoming this just even stronger conference, this behemoth of a conference. I think it, it kind of helps us snag an at-large berth in the expanded playoffs. I think it makes that more doable for us. And I also, I'll throw this out. I think the playoffs expanding to 12 is a big part of what made this possible. Like it, it would have been a tough sell to the other teams that are currently in the SEC right now. Hey, let's add two more really good programs in the SEC when there's only four spots to get into the cultural playoffs. Let's make your life harder and more difficult. I think adding 12 teams to the mix here in the cultural playoff really opened the doors, make this possible. I think that's a great argument. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate that, man. Yeah, I, I just think, like, honestly, if you look at that, expanding the playoffs really made this possible. I just don't think there had been much of an appetite in the, in the SEC to, to really do this if there wasn't still opportunity to get the at-large bid with a expanded 12-team playoff. And I guess the last thing here, as I just mentioned, that kind of makes this more positive than negative for us. I think there's good and bad here. But I think ultimately it'll end up being positive for us. It's because I, I think it addresses some of those scheduling issues I've had a problem with. I, I, you mentioned, Kurt, we're going to play other teams in conference more regularly. I think it will lead to a nine, at least a nine game, maybe even a, maybe even a 10 game conference schedule, which I love. I love what we saw. Didn't you love that last year, Curtis? Yeah. I mean, it's, we didn't not make the, the SEC because we had to play an extra, extra team. Sure. Sure. Yeah. But I mean, it's just, I think it's better for fans to be able to watch better games uh, is better for the programs and the commerce. So they can demand more money because there's better inventory. There's better well, games. Not, so not only that, I think it helps recruiting. I think it helps recruiting. Sure. When you think about it this year, our home schedule is pretty crappy. Yeah. A hundred percent, hundred percent, man. And look, I know there are those of you out there who are really upset about potentially losing the tradition of the Auburn rivalry, playing them every year. I get that. I mean, that's the second oldest rivalry in all of college football, I think behind Wisconsin and Minnesota, if I remember correctly. I understand that. And to a lot of people in the state of Georgia, that game means a lot, especially people who are closer to the border over there. Uh, I, I understand that means a lot to people. Personally, and this is just me, I like beating Auburn. That game does not mean as much to me as other games, other rivalries on our schedule. So losing that game as an annual rivalry game, that wouldn't bother me all that much. And I'm, I am a traditionalist in a, in a lot of ways. I mean, I want to protect the traditions of college football. I'm very protective of that. 
but I also think that you can protect traditions and also move into the future as well and address a lot of the structural issues that we've had in the past. And again, this is selfish of me and just based on my own narrow interests, but as I, I, you guys know, I, I traveled all these games and honestly, I'm excited about the prospect of not having to go to Auburn, Alabama every other year. It's just not a fun trip. The game is usually fun, cool, but everything around it is not fun. It, it's Auburn, Alabama is just a dub of a town. It, it, well, it's, I should say it's a dub of a town. It's, a, it's a, not a bad town. It's whatever. It's a decent town. There's just nothing there. It's a nothing town in Nowheresville. And I just would like to be able to go to other SEC towns that I think could be more enjoyable on a more regular basis and not always have to go to towns like Auburn every other year. And I know that's a very micro look at it, and that's just me and my personal view on it. And I know there are other people who are on the other side and say, no, this game means a lot to me. I have a lot of memories associated with this growing up. I understand that. That's the thing about college football. It's one of the things that makes it so beautiful is that different rivalries, different games can mean different things to different people within the same fan base based on geography, where you grew up, based on your experiences, based on your family, all those things. So I get it if you see like potentially losing Auburn as an annual rival if we do go to a pod system as one of the big drawbacks of this of this new format that ends up going that way. But personally, it, that just doesn't bother me at all. I, I think it'd be much more damaging for us to have to have Alabama in our own division. Look, again, it's not that I'm scared of Alabama. It's just a matter of like, do you want to make your path more difficult? No, you don't want to do that. And Curtis is right. Like if, if ultimately we stick with divisions and we just move Alabama and Auburn over to the east... Well, that makes our path a lot more difficult. Maybe I would I would adjust my view on how this all impacts Georgia. If that's ultimately where it goes. My expectation, though, is that we'll go with the pod system. I don't know that for sure, but just based off what I'm hearing, reading, and uh, the fact that the SEC Network even broached that topic and put that out there, I think that you can read into that. So again, ultimately, I do think this ends up being a good thing for the University of Georgia. It's not perfect. It's not. It's not without some some potential drawbacks. I will. I will certainly recognize that. But it keeps us part of the preeminent force in college athletics with the respect that goes along with that, which also helps us when we try to get into an expanded playoff. I think that's a, a huge benefit there. We'll get more money. Financially, it's a huge benefit. We'll be able to hopefully stay ahead of the ACC, the Big Ten in that regard, and be able to uh, really be positioned well moving into the future, addressing some of those scheduling issues that I've had and things that I want to be addressed for a while. And I think we'll get to watch better games. And I think that's, that's we sometimes lose sight of that. This is something that we should be enjoying, and I think it's more enjoyable to watch better games. And hopefully, if we if this leads to a breakaway, which I think ultimately will of of the Power Five conferences, or well, those big conferences. I don't want to see if there's be a Power Five, but a breakaway from some of these teams from the NCAA. I think one of the big benefits means that you'll just see Power Five versus Power Five, or those power four versus power four, whatever it ends up being. And I think long term, that is a very good and very healthy thing. I know that sucks for all those players who don't get to play the the big schools. And I know those those smaller schools, I call them the baby seals, they often rely on those big paydays from the Power 5 schools to exist. I understand that. And so I, I'm kind of torn it to a degree because I do want those opportunities to exist for athletes who are maybe Power 5 level players. And if without that money, maybe those, some of those programs dry up. And that's that really sucks for them. I, I do understand that. But hopefully they can find a way to still exist and coexist, maybe with a group of five, however that might look. But from a fan's perspective, and this is this is certainly a little bit selfish. It's just great to see more Power Five games. I mean, you know, you pay a lot of money to go to these games. ESPN pays a lot of money to broadcast these games, and uh, the better games that you can get, 
on TV, the better matchups that you can get, I think it's just better for all parties, whether it's the programs, the players to play in those games, the uh, the teams, the TV networks, all the above. So I, I do recognize it's not without its drawbacks, but ultimately I do think it'll end up being a, a good thing for the University of Georgia. I know change can be unsettling, especially when there's a lot of unknowns out there and unknowns about what the future of college football will actually look like, college sports will actually look like, but change can also be healthy. It can also help address some things that certainly needed to be addressed in the landscape of college athletics. But all right, guys, that does it for us today here on the Glory UGA Podcast. You guys know how much we appreciate you tuning in, listening, supporting the show, helping us out with the ratings, reviews, following us on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter. Really enjoyed hearing from a lot of you guys over the weekend on your thoughts when it comes to this realignment expansion process. So keep that coming. We will be back later this week with... The latest edition of our Scouting the Enemy series. I know it's been a couple weeks, but we've had to push it back a couple of different times because of different things, hitting the news wires. But we're going to get to that this week. We're going to focus on the South Carolina Gamecocks. And we're also going to have an interview with Brett Siancha from Pick 6 Previews later this week. At least that's scheduled right now. Hopefully that ends up happening. But that's the plan as of right now. So a lot of great stuff for you guys later on this week. For Curtis, I'm Tyler. Thanks for listening. And as always... Go dogs. <laughs>